0: different now, but when I was a kid, if you wanted to be a tough guy, say when I was a kid about yay big, I'm the big dork on the right if you can't find me. So I did not come through the skinny jeans era. That is not a snuggie. That's just how big I wore my shirts. I mean, that's like touching my knees. As far as my hat being in a V, that's on me. I don't know. That wasn't cool back then. That's just my bad. But in my family, my two brothers, those were the tough ones. I wasn't the tough one, but if you wanted to be tough back then, you're all, no, nobody's looking at me with that picture up here. (laughs) I look different, I get it, right? But if you wanted to be tough back when I was a kid, what'd you say if you wasn't vibing with somebody like, hey, you want a piece of me? (laughs) And if you wanted to be even tougher, like my brother's like a real Bob Barker type, what would you respond? You're like, oh, I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. And I think sometimes, I would not encourage you to try to fight God. It's not going to go well for you. But sometimes, don't we give God that offer? Hey, God, would you like a piece of me? Hey, I'll give you a piece of my week. I'll give you a piece of my Sunday. I might even give you another piece of my week. We gave an offering. God, I might even give you a piece of my money. I'll put it in the plate. We have boxes in the back, like you know. God says, like, a piece of you? I don't want peace. I want the whole. And that's what this series is about: of how do we give ourselves wholly to God? We are heart, soul, mind, and we're ending this week on strength. So, kind of where we're going, I want us first, here's kind of the flow of the morning. I want to look at how do we understand ourselves? How do we respond to that understanding? And then ultimately ask, how in the world? Can we do that? So first, I want to look at how do we understand ourselves. We need to see ourselves as one. I'll give you a hint. It's the big word on the screen. See ourselves as one whole, right? We need to see ourselves not as separate pieces and parts, but as one interconnected, one whole. We need to see ourselves as one spiritual engine. Look, I'm not a tough guy and I'm not a car guy, so don't ask me what's wrong with your car. I'm more in the, like, I don't know, you need to check the specs on the end line with the rotary girder. I'm an idiot. I don't know. Don't ask me. (laughs) But I do know enough about cars that, yes, there is one engine, but it is made up of different parts. So if you're in Enneagram 8 and you're like, why are you pulling it apart? Well, I think that is appropriate. This is why we looked at all the different parts. Right, So if your car engine isn't going well, if your car's engine isn't running well, what do you do? You take it in the mechanic, and then they start taking apart the different parts. And seeing, I told you I'm not a car guy, I blow on parts to fix them. Everything in my mind is fixed like a Nintendo game. You blow on it. That's how you fix it. Right? And so if it's not working then okay this isn't working let me look at all the individual parts to make sure but to separate them is useless to separate your water pump gasket whatever the world that is but to take that off it does it is meaningless if it is not working together in the system as a whole So how do I see myself? Yes, there are different parts, but I need to see myself as one spiritual engine. I need to think about my life this way, that nothing is disconnected. Every part of my being is connected. So if any part of my being isn't working, then all of my life is affected. So as we go through this series looking at the different parts, we have to start there. Because I think we can separate things, and that becomes very dangerous in our spiritual walks. Because we can separate, and this is somewhere where we're going to close, the spiritual from the physical. I can separate my spirituality from my physicality and my body. What I do with my body, how I treat it, what I do with it can be completely separated from my spirituality, and we think we can operate that way, that this doesn't affect that, so I'm good. That is a lie that has crept into our society and crept into churches that has been very damaging and going on for hundreds and thousands of years, that I can separate my life and my body from my spirituality, and the church, God's word, has been trying to attack this for so long look at this verse together 1 Corinthians 6:15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Do you see how he is attacking that exact lie Cuz what was happening in Corinth is hey my body's my own I can do with it whatever I want that has nothing to do with my spirituality and my view of God See, I live in Kent. I'm of that I tell you, I don't live in a mansion, and our houses aren't that far apart. So if my neighbors are having a fight, we all hear that fight, like most of the block. And so just recently, my neighbors were discussing this, and you could kind of hear kind of the lie that has crept into that. They're going back and forth about kind of sexual orientation and all these things, and then it went to this, right? Tell me if this sounds familiar, Hey, I love God. God loves all people. I can love whoever I want. Raise your hand if you've ever heard something like that, right? I mean, it's very common. Again, what's happening? We think we are not whole beings and we can disconnect. Man, what I do with my body and my physical world from my spiritual world, that is not the biblical world. We cannot disconnect these two. These must be connected in our life. My belief in God and what we do with our bodies. We cannot separate these. These must be linked for us. And that has been so dangerous in the church. We think that these are separate and they don't affect each other. It just isn't true. Maybe I caveat, yes, belief in God of the Bible. You know, the God is revealed in scriptures. Because most people, right, I can create my own God. I can create a belief in God where there is, you know, just kind of a vague spirituality, and that allows me to do whatever I want. But at the very least, the God of the Bible teaches us that we are embodied spirits. We have an embodied spirituality. What happens to this happens to me, and it affects my spirituality. Look how kind of Paul lays the theology of that to see ourselves you know, physical, spiritual, is one interconnected being, look at the theology behind it. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I mean, do you see that in God's kind of the God's view and understanding of reality, these are connected, and it is connected to my relationship with God. So my body isn't just about mine to do what I please and for physical pleasure. It is a spiritual, it is a sacred temple. I hope you know that truth. If you give your life to Christ and experience him, it says the Holy Spirit dwells within you. In the Old Testament, that was a building. And God's spirit filled that building. But then now what it says, what is that building? What is that temple? It's us. And when we give our lives to Christ, we are a sacred temple, and we should treat our bodies and see our bodies as such. And there's no way around it. In this passage, it's talking about sexual immorality. It's talking about, man, how do you use your body sexually? Do you use it how you want, or is it in line with God, what God calls of you? In some ways, that's kind of the easy one to go after, and it is true. That's a big part of it. I can't divorce my sexuality from my spirituality because my body is me. It's all connected. But I don't want to just stay there to understand how much our sexuality affects it. It is so much more beyond that as well. Look at this as he carries on in Corinthians. But I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's not talking about sex here. He's talking about being disciplined with his body. And he understands that's connected to his ministry. That's going to affect his ability to serve God. And in that disqualified, I think that's more from like rewards, not disqualified from his salvation, But if he is not disciplined with his body, that impacts his ability to serve God and misses out on ministry opportunities and rewards. And again, here's the sad part we separate these so much. No, I can either be spiritually healthy or physically healthy. And God says, connect these and try to pursue them together. I mean, they're not one to one connected, but they are for sure linked. So in some ways, we can always have these spiritual goals. Part of it, what if your goal is to get physically healthy because that's going to help impact you to be spiritually healthy? I mean, we don't always do that, but I think you can kind of reverse your way into that to see how true this is. Like if today you were to find out you have a terminal illness in your body that's going to wipe you out, do you think that affects your relationship with God at all? Some of you, I know some of you in this room, live with chronic pain every single day of your life. Come on, I want you to know we see you. But you talk to any of those people, and they will tell you how much we are one being, body, physical, and spiritual. If you were to have and you live with that, you know how much that affects your relationship with God and impacts your spirituality with Christ. So I wanted to realize how much this does. What does it look like to proactively do that? What if our goals is isn't just read the Bible more? What if it is to get healthy? And we, part of the problem is we don't, in the church, have a good theology of body. And there's no, it seems like there's no healthy option. Either you care, so, you're vain and you care so much about your looks and your identity is in how you look, or you're super spiritual and you don't care about your body at all. What if we had a good theology that my body is a sacred temple of God and I can worship him with the way I treat and what I do with my body? Maybe you didn't expect that in church, but what if your application is, man, I'm going to start exercising because I know how much my physical health affects my spiritual health. And of course, you can separate those both ways. If you're looking to be whole by just getting physically whole without... Being spiritually whole, you're in trouble. But again, the reverse is true. You so much want spiritual health. Well, there is a physical health component. And what if you do that to get physically healthy for the right reasons? What if your goal, your takeaway from church, you may not expect it, is go to bed? Does sleep not affect all of us as human beings? Right? And you're like, man, I'm not spiritually healthy. Well, tell me about your life. Well, I play video games till about 2.30 and I sleep in till 4. Uh, You having quiet times? Well, it's not really because I stay up till 2.30. What if like your spiritual goal since we are one being is, man, I need to go to bed so I can be disciplined. If you're lethargic physically, does that not affect your relationship with God? Recently, somebody took a picture of me while I was super tired trying to pray. I mean, this is... That's actually not me. That's a dramatization later. It's actually—it's just a picture off the internet. But you get the point, right? Anybody? I'm going out on a, a, a tiny limb here. Anybody go, I'm going to pray before I go to bed. And in two seconds, your prayer life looks like REM sleep. Anybody? This is a safe place. Put your hands up. Somebody put your hand up. I'm getting nervous here. (laughs) Because it matters. So what if we intentionally not waited to get sick to realize this, understood how sacred our bodies are. So that's how we need to understand ourselves. Nothing is disconnected. My physicality, my body is connected to my spirituality, sexually, my discipline, all of it but then how do I respond to that truth if I'm one whole being? Nothing is disconnected. Therefore, everything should be devoted. I can't give God a piece of me. If I am one being, I can't separate this. So that means all of it has to be devoted to him. I need to see myself as one singular my entire life is one singular unified being. And therefore, my life should have one singular unified purpose. That is the heart of every single one of these weeks. We've been going to Mark 12, where Jesus quotes the great Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Here's the verse we've been camped on for four weeks. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. If how I see myself as one being, this is what should I do with myself. I should love God with all my strength. What does that look like? And so again, you have Jesus. Quoting the Old Testament, so you have a Greek word and a Hebrew word. So I looked up kind of a word study. What does that mean? To love God with all of my strength. There's all me, my body, my spirituality. How do I do that? Well, here is a definition of strength when you look up those biblical words. In the Old Testament, vehemently, diligently, exceedingly. The New Testament is, man, to love God with all my forcefulness, with all my ability, with all my power, to love God with all I got. A clip came to mind. I've been watching all week, and it's just been getting me amped up. It reminds me of this word. I was a big Rocky guy, Rocky four I don't know if you remember the speech his trainer gives to him when he's Later in the rounds, about to go against the Russian. And he goes and he tells him, look, you need to do this. You need to give it with all your strength, all your heart, all your love, all you got. This is your whole life. I've been watching it over and over. I'm still amped up. Right? Do you remember that scene? He's not a machine. He's a man. Give it in here. And so I just kept watching it. That's the idea. To love God with all you have. Vehemently, all your diligence, everything I have for Him. That's how God wants us to love Him. Look at those words. Now let's ask the hard question. Would you use any of those to describe our love for God? Right? Scale of 1 to 10 on the strength scale. Where would you put? you on that. Don't say seven, because everybody wants to say seven. Man, would you say, I'm a 10. I'm loving God with all I got. Or would you say, ah, two, three. Would anybody describe your relationship with God using these words, tenacious, vehement? How much of my life, you wouldn't describe my love for God as vehement, Probably more like convenient? Is it it's exceedingly in all ways or is it how would you describe your love for God? Well, usually when I'm in trouble and I need some prayers, so then it really ramps up when I need something. I'm not trying to condemn anybody because this is all of us. That is how with all I am, with a singular devotion, my love for God should be diligent, vehement, Is that true of us? It's kind of fun even doing more of a word study. Where's my English nerds at? Raise your hand. Again, this is a safe place. It's fine. You correct people's texts like it's E-I, not (laughs) E-R-E. And I know you're being honest because there's no reason to out yourself. There's no benefit unless it's true. Guilty. That's me. So for all my English nerds, you're going to really enjoy this because this was kind of fascinating. So heart, soul, mind, what part of speech is that? Those are nouns, right? Actually, when you get to this one, this word for strength, it is most plainly an adverb. The primary definition of this word is simply very. So in some ways, it really practically reads, you know, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your very. And you can see why the translators had to wrestle because you can't put it there. And it can operate as a noun. But I want you to get the idea of what God's saying. I heard a great video from the Bible Project, guys. They said that. They said, you could almost say, with all your muchness, with all that you got, with all your forcefulness, that is how we are to love God as one unified beings. I was trying to rest through, man, how do you describe that. What is a good illustration? I was talking about my wife and she mentioned, man, it's kind of like Rudy. I'm like, babe, did you just mention Rudy to me? Because that is so hot right now. Bring <laughs> right, in Rudy, Rudy. Dang, girl. Right? And Paul goes to that over and over. He goes to kind of the physical athlete illustration because that's one of the few places where we see that kind of passion and devotion. And we apply it to sports all day. Don't you dare apply it to your faith because then you'll be a fanatic. You're going to be a little over the top, a Jesus freak that got into, a little in over his head. One kind of I landed on, I've been watching a lot of these videos, They remind me of this guy, Michael Phelps. Part of what I thought about it too because my family, we just got into the swimming game. Go Marlins. My daughter just started swimming for a swim team. And it's been kind of fun. I've learned a lot. One, I've learned swim meets are long. (laughs) What meet are you, sweetie? What event? I'm event 67. Okay, cool. Oh, but there's four heats per event. Like, okay, cool, 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 cool. All right. If they're inside, they're hot. But I also learned so much more about swimming, and it reminded me of this guy. Who remembers Michael Phelps and those Olympics watching us live? They were electric. And he was the most... Decorated Olympian of all time. And so to pump myself up for my daughter's events, I would watch old Michael Phelps clips. And I got into some, not just his swimming, but his singular devotion. The reason Michael Phelps was Michael Phelps wasn't just because he was born with that crazy torso, which he was, it was crazy. Like everything in his life was geared towards this. For five years of his life, he swam every single day. He would swim 50 miles a week. I mean, at Christmas, Easter, birthdays. He never took a day off. And so that was just swim training. What if Michael Phelps, I mean, take the illustration with us, right? What if Michael Phelps said, but I'm going to do whatever I want with my body. I'm like, leave that out of swimming. No, he understood his body was his instrument. If Michael Phelps would use his body for swimming, would we not be just as devoted to use our bodies for our Savior? He got that. My body is my instrument. And then it's kind of legendary, his diet. I mean, he would eat 12,000 calories a day. He wasn't chubby. He still had like a 37-pack. It was crazy. (laughs) Crazy. But he knew because he was so devoted. that wasn't, It wasn't food to him. It wasn't his pleasure. It was fuel for his mission. That's how food was to him. It was fuel. He would force himself to eat because he was working out that much. Singular devotion his entire life. I mean, you listen to interviews. The way he breathed. The way he ate. The way he meditated. The way he slept. The way he trained. Because he had a singular goal and purpose. Michael Phelps does that for swimming and we applaud. But yet you would apply that not to swimming but to your Savior and it's like, hey, easy, let's not go overboard with this. That is exactly the way Michael Phelps went after swimming is the way we should be devoted to God. It's not just a piece of me and everything in my life All my money, all my time, my talents, my treasure, they're not my own. They are devoted to him. Do we live our lives that way? Spiritually, physically, all of it is to honor him. And that's an easy thing to say, but I want to flesh that out a little bit. Right? Oh, I'm devoted to God. Well, What does that actually look like and mean? So the great Shema that we've been quoting, the reason we call it that, we've said it before, the word here. That's the Hebrew word shema. That's why we call it that. So the word for hear in Hebrew is shema. You want to know what the word for obey is? Shema. It is the same word for hear and obey. You ever wish with your kids hearing meant obeying? You laugh instantly. You ever wonder if God looks at us and goes, man, I wish hearing was actually obeying. But we have disconnected things we never should have. Look at this quote. Listening in our culture is a passive mental activity. And hearing just means that our ears registered sound waves. But in Hebrew, the word Shema describes hearing and also being obedient and doing what is asked. When we approach God and his word, it isn't simply an academic study. It is about having our lives changed and transformed. If my life isn't changing because of his words, by a biblical definition, I haven't heard. The action of obedience is our only sure measure of successful listening. We can't separate our body from our spirituality. We can't separate our listening from our obedience. What does that look like to be devoted? It means I obey him in every aspect of my life. That is how I should respond, in devotion to him, right? So simple enough, there's your takeaway. See yourself as one interconnected, nothing disconnected, everything devoted to him. So in every single facet of your life, to the nth degree with all your strength, I want you to be completely and perfectly obedient. Let's pray. Father, we're not praying yet. (laughs) Because we got to ask the last question. How in the world do we do that? Because as I'm pushing this, I'm not backing off on this. This is the call with all that we got completely and solely devoted to God. But we have to answer that question. How do we live this out? Like, Look at this charge from the verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is putting your entire life on the altar for God, saying it is all yours. How do we do that? Even as I began to preach this, I'm starting to feel condemned. Maybe you're starting to feel condemned. Man, I don't give God enough. How do we live such a radical call? Part of, I think, what will get us there is we got to switch from thinking this is so radical to where it is actually reasonable and rational. I did another word study when it says spiritual worship. If you read the ESV as a footnote, it can actually, that word can have multiple meanings. And I strongly prefer the footnote. I think it fits the context so much more. That verse reads, we do that, which is your reasonable worship. The Greek word is logikos. And pastors say Greek words because it makes us feel smart like we matter. I know a Greek word. But I hope the reason I said it this time is you can hear it. Logikos. What word do we get? Logical. We think this is so radical to give all of ourselves to God. God says do it because it's reasonable, it's rational. It's the only logical decision. See, it's super radical if I compare my devotion to a bunch of other nominal Christians' devotion and I can look radical and over the top. We're comparing it to the wrong thing. He said, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, if I compare my devotion to his devotion to us, If I compare my love for him, not to others, but to his love for me, well, then it goes from radical to rational, to reasonable, to the only logical response. And it must be a response. How do we do this? To love God so wholly. It's actually kind of simple. One more verse. We love God because he first loved us. We understand it's a response of love to receiving his love first. Every single religion in the world reads this way. Love God with all all you have. Be devoted to him. Love him more. Give him more to earn his love. And that's crushing. If right now you come out of here and you're motivated by guilt, you will not make it. How do we live this out? This holistic, wholehearted love for God? We move from guilt to gratitude. We move from guilt to grace. It has to start with, I'm not giving you more commands that nobody here is giving enough and you need to give more. I want to be here to lift up Christ. And say, we have walked away from God. I have done whatever I want with my life. I've tried to manage it, and I have fallen into so many great sins and deserve death and punishment. And God owes me nothing but judgment. And the God who owes me nothing gave me everything out of his deep love for me. God saw us in our desperate state and said, I will give you my son. And if I'm going to give you my son, how will I not give you all things? God showers first his love on us by sending his son to die for us. Isn't it rational to give him everything in return? If the God who owes me nothing gave me everything, doesn't it make sense to give him everything back? What then is, Which one is crazy? God gave me everything. He sacrificed everything for me. So I give him a nice little piece of my life. Which one is crazy? My life isn't my own. I just found out my mom's here. I just found out the age of that picture. That 12-year-old punk that was walking on a road to death in hopelessness, God ransomed him. He ransomed me and saved me. Everything I have is from him. I am not here today apart from him. It's only rational. It's only reasonable. If everything I have is his, to give it right back. So I want to love God with all our strength and realize the only way we do that is understanding his grace to us first. Maybe you've seen these under the chairs. I want everybody to take one of these home. You can grab it now if you want. Grab it on your way out. But part of that is a reminder of our call to give ourselves wholly to God. You see, it's white. Coming out of here, if you want to write maybe something from a certain week, heart, soul, mind, strength, maybe you write the verse, Mark 12 or Deuteronomy 6.4. Maybe God was just speaking to you. Maybe it's a relationship, a person. Whatever piece of you, that you've been holding back from God, I want you to realize the insanity of it and realize the only rational response in light of what Jesus has done for me is to give it all back and post that somewhere. Put that in your workspace somewhere so you know, even your work, all of it, you keep that, write whatever you want to remind yourself in light of the gospel, giving myself wholly to him, all of me with all my strength. It's the only rational response. Will you pray with me? Father, I don't want anyone to leave here condemned or guilty that we're not giving enough because you already have given us your love. We can't earn it. God, remind us all that you have given us in your son. Remind us how we are fully loved if we would only put our faith in you. And when we understand how graciously you live, how you have loved us, would we respond with our gratitude, all of our love. And we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.